0: You're listening to The Big Lift, the podcast of Webtrends Optimize, the CRO solution that enables marketers and developers to maximise the ROI on their digital properties. Webtrends Optimize is a powerful, feature-rich and easy-to-use solution, all delivered within a fixed-price contract with no additional cost for increased functionality ever. During these podcasts, we meet some of the key influencers within the marketing and conversion world to understand their roles and examine their challenges. In today's podcast, I'm joined by James Adelston, Chief Strategy Officer at Journey Further. Prior to joining Journey Further, James spent three plus years at RAP and a further six dedicating his career to the utilisation of data to help drive decisions. We discuss how many companies concentrate on using data and optimization for short-term goals to increase revenue and forget the importance of using it to build brand, reputation and customer loyalty. James, you've been with Journey Further now for around seven months, and you've got what I would describe as a very interesting and important sounding title, (laughs) Chief Strategy Officer. What does that entail?
1: That's an excellent question, and and, and you're not the first person to have asked that. Um, So so strategy is one of those words that it gets thrown around a lot, and it has lots of different meanings for different people. Um, So originally, I actually used to work at at Deloitte um, as a data scientist, and then I moved into more of the strategy arm at Deloitte, Um, which which means something very different to to the marketing world. Here at Journey Further, my role is twofold, really. One is to to help our clients understand how they, I guess, build their brand over time as well as building their sales overnight. So how do they get the combination right of ensuring that they're doing everything right to resonate with who they need to resonate with in order to grow their brand whilst growing, as I say, sales overnight, whilst meeting those short-term targets as well. And to do that, I also look after the the data arm, the insights arm um, here at Journey Further. So we also have a group of specialists who are able to both measure, but also build all the, the algorithms from making sure that we're doing attribution right all the way through to helping with things like pricing. Um, so everything that's kind of a bit more data-led in the first instance, or where we need a helping hand from an insights perspective, uh, we'll get our data team to help with that as well.
0: It seems like it's a balance between the hard nosed data element and the kind of the softer element, which is obviously the the strategy of moving things forward, would you say that you're stronger in one or the other or you're happy with both
1: <laughs> it's an it's an excellent point i think sometimes we we assume that I guess brand growth or longer term growth is maybe Um, maybe maybe softer, um, so to speak. It definitely requires more of an empathetic outlook. It requires you to understand humans more so than, um, as you say, looking at at data itself. But in reality, I don't honestly think you can grow a brand over time without understanding the short-term implications of what you're doing and without making sure that you're, you are hitting the short-term growth targets as well. I mean, no great business can go years um, without performing well. You you have to make sure for cash flow reasons as much as anything, you are hitting your short-term targets. So you do have to be cognizant of that short-term element, even if you you believe that you have more of a longer-term outlook on, on how a company should be run.
0: You had an, another interesting title at RAP, which was Head of Decision Science. Was that... <laughs> You, you must have the most interesting job titles anyway. I, I haven't <laughs> gone through all of them, but was that much more different to what you're doing now or or is it more of the, the kind of the softer skills that you are bring into it with the strategy?
1: That's a very kind of you in terms of the the, the the good job titles. It's actually a very interesting um, journey at, at RAP. So in marketing, there's, I, I guess, a job title called data strategy, which is thrown around quite a lot. of might be called data planning at some agencies. And that, for me, is not very descriptive at all around what that job entails and and my my belief is that we as a industry in general are very inward looking. So we often tend to call ourselves titles based purely on, I guess, a historic element because that's what it's always been called. And when I started working at Journey Further as a head of data strategy, I asked myself, is this really what we do? I mean, a lot of what we did was helping clients understand how data might fuel their long-term growth. A lot of it was building short-term models, but really what we were doing was helping to drive decision-making for clients. That's That's what it that's what it was, it wasn't just data either. A lot of the time that would be based off understanding humans, understanding why humans did what they did, and understanding how we can, I guess, prove that to an extent, but also understand that better using data. It wasn't really about the data. So we changed our our, our structure. And there are companies who have decision scientists, um, I believe Facebook does, lots of um, challenger banks do. I think Monzo's got a data scientist team from memory. And really what we did was understand how we use data better to drive decisions. But as I say, that's softer understanding the human part as well was so important to make that work. Understanding behavioral science, but also understanding not just why people did something, but understanding that they did it is, is just as important. And I think sometimes we get very bogged down in trying to understand why we, we do what we do, which is very important. But there's also an element of just trying to recognize how we respond to, to different stimulus. And, and I think that's something that's missed largely as, a, as an industry.
0: So you've mentioned in um, in the last few minutes about both short term and long term optimization. Do you feel that there's value in both or is short term strategy just not the right strategy at all?
1: I, th- I think it's a bit of a false dichotomy, to be honest, to see them as being as being different. I mean, you definitely can do things that improve short-term growth, like discounting is a great example of that, um, which are to the detriment of of long-term. And you can also do things that might help you in, in the long-term that might be to detriment of the short-term, such as um, divesting all of your budget from short-term performance channels to to brand channels that might not necessarily have the same immediate impact. Um, but But in general, you really can do both. Um, there's, def- there's loads of examples of, of clients who I'm very lucky to work with who do both extremely well. It doesn't have to be the case that you do one over the other. And in fact, most evidence shows that by getting the combination right, and, and it varies based on industry, based on client. But lots of people say 60-40 in terms of long-term brand versus short-term. But, but in general, if you get the balance right for your client, then, then you will grow both short-term and, and long-term.
0: I heard somewhere that somebody said marketing is like asking someone to go out on a date. <laughs> brand is giving them the reason to say yes. Is brand always a long-term strategy, or can it be a short-term strategy too?
1: I think it absolutely can also be a short-term strategy. I think in order to be able to make short-term decisions around what we buy day in day out, we're always leaning on our emotional instincts throughout that. If, if I was to, if you went to the shops tomorrow and bought, I don't know, Snickers instead of a packet of oreos i don't know i've obviously got food on my mind uh, <laughs> if i asked you why you selected one over the other if if you have bought both in the past you probably would find it quite difficult without having to really think about it to, to answer that question and, and that's essentially the impact of, of branding and we often don't ask ourselves why we make certain short-term decisions but in in reality the reason why we make decisions tomorrow is is massively impacted by the way that we've engaged with that brand over time. And and I guess one thing that I would say just to add to that is if we have a brand at at our forefront and and we've got them, I guess, through either prompted or unprompted awareness, but we, we at least are able to recognize a brand if we are faced with a short-term decision without necessarily being prompted by that brand specifically to make that decision, just by being in the vicinity of, for example, an Oreo, Oreo, (laughs) while while we may have seen larger brand messaging over the past week or so, we're more likely to pick up that Oreo and there's loads of evidence to suggest that that's the case. Again, it's part of this false dichotomy around short-term versus long-term, when actually brand building does encourage you to make decisions tomorrow as much as it does in six months, as much as it does in a year.
0: I think one of the things, though, that we've all got confused about is this this term, which has been a very old hackneyed phrase, brand loyalty. And I know brand loyalty exists, and I know (laughs) that's definitely a long-term strategy. But for instance, if if I say, would I prefer Nestle versus um, Cadbury's, I'll always go with Cadbury's because of the long-term brand loyalty I have to that, it must be something where it's challenging to be able to change people's long-term brand loyalty. So that surely must be a long-term effort.
1: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely some some great examples of that being the case. And I mean, people do, um, lots of people do, and evidence does reflect that lots of people do have certain loyalties towards brands. What I would say, and there's, a, I guess, a, a very kind of marketing 101 book that, that I'm sure lots of listeners will have read, and How Brands Grow, there's loads of empirical evidence also the long and the short of it's a good example that shows loads of empirical evidence on this. People tend not to have as much brand loyalty as I think we in the marketing industry assume that they do. It tends to be a combination of of frequency and reach that really encourages those purchases. So take Cadbury's for example, obviously asking you as an individual, it'll be hard to to, to to necessarily say this, but but for Cadbury, it may be that you've got a, a. I don't know deep affection towards Cadbury that means that you'll never divert away from it, that purchasing decision but it's also potentially equally plausible that like you've just seen lots of <laughs> Cadbury advertising in the last year or you've, you've yep. had a high frequency of, um, of interactions with that brand that's caused you to, to purchase that again and there'll equally be loads of people you might have churned in the last year and that's, and that's reflected by the fact that loads of challenger brands in in that industry but also across every industry do break into do break into the market
0: because one of the examples that you talk about challenger brands is is this whole financial marketplace now, which is coming out with a lot of different ones. And I, I even include Revolut, although they're somewhat mature by comparison to some of the others like Starling, etc. But there must be real challenges in that perspective for trying to move let's put it this way, the older generation into that kind of market space, whereas the younger generation will be much easier and much happier to be able to jump on an app versus actually having the physical presence of a bank.
1: Yeah, change over generations is a really interesting concept. And there's there's quite a few brands I've worked with in the past, be that I've, I've worked for a variety of different medicines, for example, that are targeted towards 60 plus um, age, age brackets and initiating change has been shown to be empirically more difficult the older that you get but what I would say is lots of and, and Facebook is a good example of this right like Facebook is a brand that does have quite high reach in a 60 plus market believe it or not it's it's not a lot of people think of Facebook or they think of apps that we may have used when 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 we were younger i'm um, not considering at any age but when i was younger certainly facebook was one that i would never have thought would be would be adopted by my my grandma or my, or my parents but it is it is adopted by our parents um the, most of most of my friends parents are on facebook um my my grandma before she said passed away she was she was on facebook at the age of 92 um, wow uh, and that's not uh, that's not an exceptionally rare rare story. Yeah. Um, they're also on FaceTime. I was at, at my great uncle's house helping him use FaceTime on his new iPad. And I, I think tech adoption at, at that older age group is, is often Um, It's thought of as being far more tricky than than it is, and I think people do make different branding decisions as they get older. People do make different decisions, and in in the marketing world, there's lots of what we call trigger points. There's been loads of evidence that shows that when something happens in life, that changes what you do, changes your routine, you're more likely to change other things around that. For example, retiring, or for example, children moving out of your house, or for example, getting a dog, um, moving house, all of these things change change the way that you behave, and Do that at every age. So I guess what I would say is yes, there is a a correlation between age and challenge of breaking through, but but that's certainly not an impossibility, and and that's been reflected by by lots of brands.
0: TikTok seems to have gone from nowhere into a multi-billion-dollar brand used by very young people predominantly. I don't know the demographics, but I would assume it's that's that's the case. Would you say that TikTok can help build long-term brand, or do you think it's just a short-term fad?
1: yeah i believe that any interaction that you have with with a with an individual with a customer has a propensity to help to add to that long-term branding message and i, I think often we forget what brand really means we tend to think of brand as being somehow a big campaign or or a massive launch with a tv ad and in reality what what your brand is is it's the emotions that people feel with every interaction with you as a as a company and that could be through walking into your store it could be through browsing your website it could be through seeing a TikTok um video that that has your brand represented all of these things have the ability if done well to add to your overall attitude and feeling and, and, and to evoke certain emotions towards a brand. And when I say emotions, I don't mean, I don't mean love or, or, <laughs> or extremely strong emotions, but, yeah. but just emotions like, okay, I see that. I feel like it's practical. I feel like it's easy. I feel like they're a brand I can relate to. Um, I see them positively broadly. And then TikTok definitely has a role to play in that for the right brands as does, as does every channel in my, in my opinion, if used well.
0: Do you think this is very much like a revolving door now, as brands come in and out of favour? I'm thinking particularly of the social channels.
1: Uh, I think it's like a that's a great question. Um, I'm not sure I'd consider it to be a revolving door per se. I think there's um, the the way that we do uh, the way that we do marketing is something that is constantly changing and, and has been for. Well, certainly since I've been in the industry with new channels coming in, the ability to target individuals and, and very soon the ability not to target those individuals <laughs> yes. in, in, the, in, in the same way. Um, it is something that we're constantly having to adapt to. But fundamentally, the basics of marketing don't change. The basics of speaking to as many of the right people as you can with the right message it doesn't change and it's the way that you do that the tactical way that you you execute against that is something that will always always change and for me one of the key elements of any any business at the moment is understanding how to build yourself in an agile way So how do you make sure that you have the teams that are deployed not to be locked into certain channels, but who have the soft skills as well as those understanding of of those channels and the ability to learn and adapt to those channels so that you can deploy yourself for any brand and still do a great job, even if they don't use your channel of choice, for example.
0: But that must be really challenging for, for many, not just the bigger brands, but for the smaller brands to be in this constantly evolving, constantly moving environment where just take TikTok for for an example. You could be concentrating on Facebook and Instagram and then TikTok arrives and you think, well, do I have to take that? Do I have to have more people to be able to look after Instagram? Which bits do I cut back on if I can't afford to have more people? It's it's constantly kind of dividing the cake into smaller and smaller pieces, which trying to be able to guess then which piece is going to have the greatest influence in you. I, I think that must be a real, a real challenge for, for many of the companies that you deal with today. Is that right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I think it, it goes back to an old data, um, data challenge around, well, there's two different broader data challenges that, that, have been challenges since explored by mathematicians since 1950s 1960s so one is what I'd call optimal stopping so at what point do you decide that you've actually explored sufficient channels in order for you to feel like you've got the right mix so with every net new experiment that you run with every net new different thing that you do you're always faced with the trade-off between broadly exploring versus exploiting right so trying to figure out some new piece of information that you didn't have before versus exploiting the knowledge that you already have to optimize and grow as quickly as you possibly can. And I think what brands have the challenge of doing right now is applying that same logic as far as possible to, to different channels. So, you know, there's always going to be an argument to say, why not try and dabble in and, and, and put some money into TikTok, see who it resonates with, see if the messaging is right, et cetera. Um, but if you feel like you've, you're have you constantly running small experiments with every new channel that pops up, um, there's a likelihood that you're not going to be exploiting what you do know um readily enough and and that balance is something that every brand has to get right for themselves uh, it's, it's quite difficult to do, I guess, just to give you an example of that, um, we were, we were talking very recently to a, to a startup who have just got um, some seed funding, um, which is great. And they're wanting to understand which channels they should um, <laughs> they should invest in. It's such a difficult <laughs> thing to do. Right? They've got no data and there's yeah. there's no, they've got, they haven't really got a messaging matrix right now to, to suggest who they should be targeting with what message they don't really understand their audience. So effectively, what they want to do is to start experimenting based off a few good ideas in the first instance, and obviously what we have to work out and there's no right answer to this but we have to work out what's a sensible mix of doing what we know works for some other brands that we think will be will be good versus running some experiments with different demographics different messaging to see what might work and what might not work and it's art as much as the science when when you're at that stage of development
0: yeah, I think it is. I think we've all been spinning plates for many years, but there's more plates coming on onto the poles now, it, or it seems like that there's more plates <laughs> coming on. And there was a time, and I'm saying there was a time because it still is at the time, where return on investment was obviously crucial to that. That may change. I think that we've got to get back to some of the art in the science as well, because I think we have to a degree lost a lot of the art because we've been focused on the data far too much. Not, that's my own personal opinion. No, I, I
1: 100% agree. I, I feel like the challenge, and I have this argument a lot, I would use the word insight for, for this. I think when when people throw the term insight around, they assume it means basically aggregating large amounts of data to make an insinuation about what that data is suggesting. In reality, insight's a combination of that, but also understanding humans. It's understanding how we think and feel and how I would react if, if I was to see a certain message or not. And of course, there's an element of... That being very subjective and you know it's it's, it's not statistically significant, but what what makes somebody a great creative, for example, is understanding the insights and sorry is understanding the data that that might help them understand who they should be targeting and what messages historically have worked well in the past. But in order to really ideate and come up with the right marketing mix as much as right creativity there's an element of just trying to understand humans as well as we possibly can in order to understand what might evoke certain reactions how would people respond if we did x and it's something that we don't have data on unless we we test it in controlled environments that are never going to be exact replicas of the, the real world and in, in some certain circumstances
0: i think the last two years has probably been in most of our lives the most challenging part from a marketing perspective because There's always this survival mode that people have gone into, to be able to say, yes, we need to continue our business, but they also need to build brand and they also need to sell more stuff. And they do that with less people because lots of people were furloughed. There was less budget because people weren't at work and so they weren't spending their money quite so much. That must be quite challenging. In that time, in your history of of working with companies, would you say people were spending more time in building brand? over the last two years. <laughs>
1: yeah. Um it, look it's a great question and I'd say th- there's definitely been a a more reactive element to to a large volume of retailers. And, and reactive is a very a very interesting word I think so often reactive is seen as being um a, a very negative word and the way that I mean it in this instance is is, is negative. So the, the way that lots of brands are responding is by showing discounts, by having knee-jerk reaction to change their their model. That might not be that sustainable in order to hit short-term um, short-term targets, either for cash flow reasons or for um, I, I guess what I would call fake targets—targets targets that have been set by management without any real needs to, purely because they want to show value to shareholders in in, in the short term, when actually it's, it's not the right thing to do. So th- there's definitely been this knee-jerk reaction, and I've noticed it especially in retail especially with, I I guess, typical um, um, physical retailers who've got a physical presence as well as an online presence. There's been a big big knee-jerk reaction there. I think one thing that I would say is some retailers have, I think, been very smart in the way that they They've they've used that almost breathing space. So there are there were periods of time where stores were entirely closed, and and they'd use that time to start to invest in 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 the long term rather than to worry too much about divesting um, immediately onto online, for example. Um, so th- there has been a few retailers who who have stood out and, and I guess changed for the better for for the long term rather than chasing the the, the, the pound next week. Um, but, but to go back to my reactive point, there's also what I would call a a positive reactionary mode which is getting the right processes in place in order to be able to respond to things like that happening right now and i i often think there are there's negative reactive i.e Something's changed yesterday, so we need to derail a long-term investment in order to make that work. But there's also positive reactive, i.e. how do we make sure that we have everybody set up to mitigate for certain scenarios that we know are going to happen over the next few years and respond to those as quickly as possible. And far too many brands in the last two years have been responding in what I would call a negative reactive way. How do we make sure that we are simply hitting short-term targets without really planning for those those scenarios in advance?
0: I think also there have been some which have been building better brand values around their product. So there's been a lot of talk about the quality of their product, the sustainability of their company, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that time has been much more reflective in that instance, as well as all the activities that been going on uh, around the planet, et cetera. But I think there's definitely been a few examples of good brand positioning, which has moved from what their traditional brand positioning was. But I think when you look at the smaller companies, those people that don't have million, two million plus turnovers and higher, they must be or they have been really challenged in trying to go into this survival mode to be able to make sure that they can continue their business. I notice a lot of companies that laid off people there were lots of newer companies starting up who were people basically working from their bedrooms, buying and selling stuff, creating a brand presence, which again, just had some more kind of confusion to the marketplace. Lots more people were buying online, absolutely, but there was more kind of avenues in which to place product. And I think that price became the differentiator over the last two years. And I think it's about time that we started looking back to the values of the brand and enhancing that. Do you agree the same thing?
1: Yeah, I think I think that's definitely the case, and it's, it's certainly going to be exacerbated by the inflationary pressures that we're seeing at the moment, where price will become increasingly important on on people's minds, even even if it isn't a. And this is where it goes to the human and data data piece, even if they could afford to spend an extra 40p on on, on whatever item of clothing it might be. Um, psychologically, we're definitely, again, to hit a similar mindset to what we had in, in 2008, where we saw lots of, well, lots of heavy price discounting, for example. That, that, that definitely is a factor and will continue to be the fact that people are becoming price price dependent, I, I guess this goes back to the the role that a brand plays in helping to drive short term revenue as well as long term revenue. Is if you're only differentiator as a brand is price of course you're going to be very dependent on price competition and there's going to be races to the bottom that was particularly true in retail there were very large clients of mine who um was was struggling with that um over the last few years where they were devaluing their brand by offering high discounts which essentially meant that people were anchored to a lower price while simultaneously seeing their brand as being being relatively cheap and i think sometimes what we forget with pricing is and um, whilst it's also obviously um, a, a it has a, a direct impact on people's buying decisions, it also has a very large indirect um, impact because it is not just a case of, of racing to the bottom. If you want to improve long term value, um, this is especially true, obviously, of, of retailers where is there a genuine material difference in, in terms of the, the actual makeup of, of clothes for most retail brands? I'm not sure I should be saying this on a on a, on a podcast, but but the honest answer is pro- probably not. I mean, brand brand is the main differentiator in terms of why why people buy mm. and, and why they don't. For most retailers, there are a few who offer bespoke services that be around fitting or maybe around quality of material, but can most brands honestly say that's the case? They, they probably can't. And to your point about purpose-driven brands going to a world where actually you you have something like sustainability at the heart of what you do, if you can actually live up to that and do that, then that could be something that differentiates you and allows you to I guess, make more margin whilst also doing the right thing um, and and, and helping decrease our consumerist society.
0: One of the things that I I talked about around or just before Black Friday with many of my interviewers was the fact that we were hitting a perfect storm where we were coming out of COVID, people had money in their pockets, there was a lack of supply um, potentially at that time, and there was also the threat of this third-party cookie removal. I think the storm clouds have got darker because we've now got inflation associated with that as well. So things haven't changed. Stock is still not as fluid as it was before. And people have got Money in their pockets, but they're a little he- more hesitant to spend money in their pockets as interest rates start to rise, and you can see the price of products going up day after day. Do you think there's light at the end of the tunnel? And if so, when do you think that might be? I don't know. You don't have a crystal ball.
1: Well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. I mean, it, it would be—it's a fool's game, isn't it, trying to predict the future? Um, I think, I think it's—it's um, it, it's, it's, you know, one of those where. And I said this a lot during coronavirus, and I think it's going to be true for the next few years. Um, th- there's a there's a, there's two different ways that animals are going to suddenly be a very very interesting or very uninteresting. Tangent, but there's mm-hmm. um, there's, there's two different ways animals tend to evolve. So you can evolve by having very cheap offspring and having lots of them and hope that many of them will die, but a few might survive and, and it'll be okay. Or you can evolve by having few expensive offspring, which are basically ones that you, you would have a good bet will survive, but you don't have very many of them. You basically can channel your energy in, in those two ways. And historically, it's been proven that the, the the strategy that works best during particularly difficult times where lots of offspring will die anyway is basically having loads of cheap offspring. So it's essentially mm-hmm. that that strategy of... Completely diversifying, hoping for the best, um, and and hoping that at least two out of the ten things that you do well will, will work well. Essentially, how do you fail fast? Um, in good times, it makes more sense to channel your energy into ideas that you think will really work. Um, and and I, and I do think for the last two years and probably for the next few years, having varied, di- diverse, but obviously um, well-intentioned, but 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 sometimes quite rogue vets is is really where where the future is going right now because to your point we just can't predict how dark or light the tunnel is but what we can do and what we should be doing as brands is starting to put our eggs in different baskets wherever we can and try to work out as quickly as possible which baskets are growing and which aren't and that's the only way that we can i think mitigate for for this future of uncertainty in my view
0: and do you think CRO has a part to play in that?
1: Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. Um, and I promise you, I'm not just saying that. Um, it's, it's an interesting conversation. I have this with um, with my colleague Johnny Johnny Longton quite a lot mm-hmm. around how do we get into um, a place where the concepts that we apply, I guess historically to CROs is, is applied to a business as a whole. Um, it's very much. The, the fundamentals of having a scientific method to um, experiment in, in a wide variety of different areas and trying to work out how we optimize against those, but then work out what isn't working and ditched out as soon as possible, fail quickly, and that that agile methodology should be applied across the business, not not just um, across specific channels like web optimization, in, in, in my opinion, um, and and I feel like the the big, the big part of that 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 we're hopefully hopefully getting right, and lots of businesses need to get right, is how do you make sure that you have world-class research as part of that to make sure that you're putting um, and, and quick research, not kind of I'm not talking seven-month qual on quant mm-hmm. to work out what the right thing to do is as a business. I'm, I'm talking really short, sharp research, potentially through 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 web platforms if need be, to understand what is and isn't working, so you can make bigger business decisions as, as a brand. And, and that for me is where not only where, where CRO is going in terms of playing that wider role within the business, but more broadly where, where businesses need need to go, where they need to invest.
0: We're already a couple of months into the new year and I was just wondering what do you think should be the strategy for brands for the next 12 months? Do you think 2022 is about brands being more agile?
1: I definitely, I definitely think agility is 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 one of those. How do you set yourself up for for success by making sure you've got more cross-disciplinary teams? I alluded to it with with research being being part of that, which obviously is a is a crucial part of CRO. But but how do you make sure that every every business that you, or every team that you have, has the right Team who are able to research quickly, execute quickly, measure what's happened quickly, and then play that back as a piece of R and D to whatever business unit you're you're in. Um, so that that agile way of working should really be applied, as I say, across across the business. I, I definitely think that that would be a news resolution. I w- I would have pushed hard for. But I think the other thing, just to kind of go back to your earlier point that I would I guess pedal, is I I really feel like we as humans have got this need almost to categorize things to say, oh, we're going through this period is COVID, then this period is high inflation, this period is X, Y, Z. In reality, marketing is quite basic, right? So, I mean, without sounding, without rubbishing my whole job. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, completely. (laughs) It is. I mean, the, 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 the (laughs) the basics of marketing, the basics of business is fundamentally quite basic. I mean, from a marketing perspective, how do you reach as many people with the right message at the right time at the right price? And that doesn't change whether we're whether we go through a period of hyperinflation, whether we go through a period of COVID. The basics of that don't don't change. It's just the levers that we pull that might move from a ten a, percent a on our risk profile to a sixty percent, which then means that we do a few things a few things differently. Um so so for me it really is a question of how do you not have these knee-jerk reactions where we simply say oh we've, we're in this inflationary period so we're going to have to do something about our prices or we're going to have to do something about the way that we we mark ourselves as a brand how do we make sure that we still stay true to the memory structures that we have often spent years developing whilst also making sure that we are changing the the dial on things that we want to be experimenting with or want to be learning from to try and grow grow sales as quickly as possible um, again in line with that longer brand brand vision
0: so I'm moving on to something parallel to to your universe, um, which is obviously a post a post covid uh, kind of saying As you've just launched a um, planet app. And that seems to be a, to me, it's a post-COVID, right, we've been released from this thing, where can we go now? Is that the <laughs> yeah. fundamental basis of it, or is there um, more to it? No,
1: it's a really interesting, and thank you very much for, for bringing it up. Um, so a few a few years ago, a, uh, I used to work in geospatial analytics um, at Deloitte, and a colleague of mine, an unbelievably bright guy, unbelievable guy in general, um, a guy called Andy Utley was building this. Um, he, he was working, as I say, quite heavily in spatial analytics and, and building various models. And we were meeting meeting up with with a few friends and he was meeting up with um, with a few friends every now and again over a period of time. And he just got really annoyed one day and he said, oh, um I keep meeting up um, really close to this guy's house because he keeps telling me that that's the best place to meet up. I don't believe it is. I'm going to build an algorithm to prove him wrong. And that's where that's where it was born. And he <laughs> he's then since gone into various different different companies doing, doing a really good job um, elsewhere. So we've kind of taken the rein from him slightly and, and um, he's still a, a shareholder but, but isn't as involved in the business. And we now as a as a team have been essentially building this this app over the last year and a half during COVID. <laughs> um, there's a, a great company called Bulb um, based in Leicester who've been helping us do that. And and we've obviously chosen to release it now that people are <laughs> kind of out and about again. But that is a good example. And well, I, I would say this is very biased <laughs> to say, but it's, it's, a, it's a good example of um of, of, of trial and error right we've um we've tested it over a long period of time and by no means is it perfect but for me the way that hopefully it will su- succeed as an app is by failing failing quickly on the things it will fail at and, and growing hopefully in the things it will do well so i'd encourage everyone <laughs> to go to no, I'm joking, I'm joking. so
0: how does it work i mean is it by user reviews kind of thing
1: um, so it, it plugs into a few different APIs that help us understand where where things are located and what the ratings of those things are. And then we essentially have an algorithm that if you're meeting up, let's say there's three or more of you meeting up all coming from different locations, then the app allows you to work out where the optimal area is to meet up based on what you want to do. So if you want to meet up at a restaurant um, and you want Chinese food, it will help you understand where the best places for for all three of you to meet up assuming that one person might be driving one person might be taking public transport it minimizes drive time and, fa- and maximizes fairness and find finds the best place for you is essentially how it how it works so it's a, it's a I guess it's an algorithm at its heart, with a with a hopefully a, a slick UX on top of it that helps you, I guess, navigate those difficult decisions. So it basically came from having loads of annoying WhatsApp conversations with people <laughs> where, where no one could agree where to meet up and everyone was arguing the whole time. Um, so hopefully, even if it doesn't succeed as a business, hopefully it will help help us reduce our arguments with, with a few friends.
0: It sounds like an, an interesting um, distraction, if, not, if nothing else, from, from what you did. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
1: No, it's been a good a good week. a good weekend project has been it's been good fun i think like i mean for for me and this is a massive tangent to to this conversation but it kind of goes back to the iterative way of way of working i think we're constantly learning about ourselves as much as about the the world around us and I, i think the way that we we do that best is by combining i guess what do we want to get to where do we want to get to in kind of five years 10 years 15 years as a business as an individual whatever it might be um but also knowing that that Destination isn't a fixed place, and and uh, in reality, it's a journey that's important. And 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 how do we make sure that we navigate towards the top of <laughs> the top of that hill or toward towards that mountain? Um, whilst also making sure that we're avoiding the obstacles immediately in front of us. And I, I guess you can't plan, you can't you can't plan to go up a mountain unless you understand the the route that you're you're taking and what the obstacles are to get there. But there's also gonna be things if you set off on a trek tomorrow, there's gonna to be surprises that you'll encounter on the way that you might not have envisaged. And that that's really for me what the short term and long term pieces is, is. How do you overcome those barriers that you might not be expecting without forgetting that actually you've got this longer journey ahead of you you're trying to get to this this place in the distance you're not just trying to i don't know step over this tree branch or or cross this river to extend my terrible analogy
0: (laughs) well as i was saying, it's it's a very good analogy to 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 finish on really because obviously you do have to plan a lot to be able to get where you want to go to and you need to have an understanding of the the challenges and obstacles along the way but for now james it's been a great conversation i'm sure we'll uh, touch base in a, a few months or so just to be able to see how things are going and we'll circle back and perhaps even meet up and have a drink and and, and chat through this
1: yeah. but thank you very I much love that. that's it thank you it's been really good thank, thank you so much John. i've really really enjoyed it and apologies for my very very tangential responses <laughs> at times as i said it's um, all about
0: a conversation it's it's not about a list of questions